Mark chapter 8 beginning at verse 22. They came to Bethsaida and some people brought a blind man and begged Jesus to touch him. He took the blind man by the hand and led him outside the village. When he'd spat on the man's eyes and put his hands on him, Jesus asked, Do you see anything? He looked up and said, I see people. They look like trees walking around. Once more, Jesus put his hands on the man's eyes. Then his eyes were opened, his sight was restored, and he saw everything clearly. Jesus sent him home saying, don't go into the village. Jesus and his disciples went on to the villages around Caesarea Philippi. On the way, he asked them, who do people say I am? They replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, one of the prophets. But what about you, he said? Who do you say I am? Peter answered, you are the Christ. Jesus warned them not to tell anyone about him. He then began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, chief priests and teachers of the law and that he must be killed and after three days rise again. He spoke plainly about this and Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But when Jesus turned and looked at his disciples, he rebuked Peter. Get behind me, Satan, he said. You do not have in mind the things of God, but the things of men. Then he called the crowd to him, along with his disciples, and said, If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for me and for the gospel will save it. What good is it for a man to gain the whole world, yet forfeit his soul? Or what can a man give in exchange for his soul? If anyone is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will be ashamed of him when he comes in the Father's glory with the holy angels. Hi, my name is Peter Close and I have the privilege of speaking to you this morning. As we explore Mark's account of these incidents, I want you to ask yourself the same question Jesus asked the blind man. Do you see anything? The young woman in the film that we've just seen asked some big questions. She said, who am I? Am I what I was meant to be? No, she says, I'm not. She talks of herself as a mixture of good and bad and concludes that she is damaged. She knows there is something wrong. And she can see something in Jesus, 
but is conscious that she can't see what it is clearly yet. She concludes by saying, I'm still half blind inside these eyes, but I was born to see. Jesus' disciples believed they were in a completely different position. In their mind, they weren't blind. They could see perfectly well. They knew who Jesus was and what he'd come to do. Yet, as we will discover, at this point, it's the disciples who are blind, not the young woman. If you're a first century Jew at the time of Mark's account, you knew your destiny. Your nation was on a journey, and that journey you could trace back thousands of years. The remembering and retelling of your history was a central part of your culture. You celebrated key historical events every year to remind yourself of who you were, where you'd come from, and where you were going. For example, they celebrated the Passover to remember how God had protected them and brought them out of Egypt out of slavery to a new land. They also remembered how he had sustained them for 40 years in the desert before they entered that new land, a land they proceeded to conquer and establish themselves as a nation. They were God's people and in their eyes God had made them rich and powerful in the past and that he was going to do it again one day. During the time of King David and his son Solomon, the nation and their God were known and feared. They were wealthy. They were the superpower of their day. However, things went wrong. Subsequent leaders started to exploit the people. They turned to worshipping other false gods. They turned away from the God who brought them out of slavery. And it was then things started to go badly wrong. Other nations invaded their land, conquered their armies and overran the nation. Then followed 600 years of servitude. First under the Babylonians, then the Persians, followed by the Greeks and finally the Romans. But in the eyes of a Jew, all was not lost. They had a hope. Their God would come in power to save them, just as he'd done long ago. As they looked to their history, they knew that if they turned back to God, he would raise up a man to lead them out of their current situation, throw off the Roman occupiers and re-establish the nation of Israel, just as David had done three, six hundred years before. This man would be a messiah, or in Greek, the Christ, a man like King David, a man chosen and anointed by God. This expectation came from an interpretation of their history and the ancient prophecies, many of which are now contained in what we call the Old Testament of the Bible. So when Jesus accepts the title of Messiah, the disciples know the revolution is about to start. They're at the start of a journey to restore their nation under God. 
And it's this hope and expectation of the disciples that will help us understand the, their blindness to what Jesus was saying. Jesus asks the disciples, who do people say I am? And the disciples respond, well, some say John the Baptist and others Elijah uh, and, and others one of the prophets. You see, Jesus was the celebrity of the day. Thousands of people followed him for days at a time to hear what he said, to see the next miracle, in the hope of seeing someone rise from the dead. The people had started to conclude that Jesus was from God and therefore he must have the spirit of one of their forefathers. But then Jesus turned the question to the disciples and asked them what they thought. Peter went first. He said, you're the Christ, you're the Messiah. He'd become convinced Jesus was the man sent by God. And the rescue from the Romans was about to start. Now the disciples had understood who Jesus was, Jesus now decided it was time to talk more plainly with them, to explain what was going to happen. He was going to explain to them that he would be uh, rejected by the religious leaders. They would engineer a set of circumstances that would get him executed. And then three days later, he would rise from the dead. It was important that the disciples understood this, that they understood these things were part of God's plan. They weren't an accident. They weren't a mistake. But Peter didn't hear that. He was astonished. This can't be true. Jesus, you're the Messiah. You're going to lead this nation from out under the Romans. We're going to be re-established as a people of God. How can that happen if you're executed? It's not going to happen. In his eyes, this was clearly a mistake. Jesus can't be right. So he steps in and tells him he is wrong. But it's not Jesus who's wrong. It's Peter. Jesus puts him in his place. Tells him off. And points out that what he is saying is from the devil, not from God. Peter goes from hero to zero in less than 30 minutes. This is why the healing of the blind man is such a helpful picture for us to have. And is almost certainly why Mark chose to include this miracle in his account. Jesus spits on the eyes of the blind man, lays his hands on him and asks him, do you see anything? He can see some shapes. He can see people which look a bit like trees, but he couldn't see clearly. So Jesus lays his hands on him again and suddenly he gets 20-20 vision. He can see perfectly. He can see people. He can see clearly. Peter and the disciples were just like this blind man. They could see enough to interpret the signals. Those signals that enabled them to conclude that Jesus was the Messiah. But they couldn't see clearly enough 
to understand and accept what Jesus was saying about his rejection by the religious leaders and execution. You see, their shared history and expectations, based on what they've been taught since a child by the religious leaders, prevented them from comprehending, from understanding what Jesus was telling them. Jesus had already warned them about this. He'd said, beware the yeast of the Pharisees. Be careful. Don't get taken in by their teaching. They're wrong. In fact, it was not until Jesus had actually died and risen again that the disciples really understood, really comprehended what Jesus was trying to explain to them. So what was it Jesus was trying to say that the disciples failed to understand? Well, Jesus had come, the Messiah had come, to cure the underlying problem of a broken relationship with God. Not to provide relief from the Roman oppressors. You see, we were created to live a life in relationship with God. An eternal life. A full life. An abundant life. In fact, the life God recreated us to live. God sent Jesus to cure us of this terminal disease that we all suffer from once and for all. You see, the history of the Jews proved time and again that even when their current problems were resolved, symptoms of this disease, it wasn't long before they returned to their old ways and those problems resurfaced again. That's why they needed a more radical cure. If we're honest, how many of us have done that deal with God type of prayer to only forget our side of the bargain once the problem was resolved? Jesus' diagnosis isn't exactly the same today as it was then. All of us have got this terminal illness and addressing the symptoms is pointless if that underlying disease remains. And what is that illness? It's our rejection of God our rejection of his ways and a desire for us to take his place. We want to be in charge. We know best. If we're honest, our primary focus has always been on ourselves, hasn't it? We want God's role to be restricted to sorting out those things that are wrong, that don't mean our life goes as well as we would expect or want it. Injustice, discrimination, the general unfairness of life. I could go on. We all have our own list, don't we, of those things that are wrong that we want God to come in and fix. And surely if he's a God who loves us, he would come and fix those problems. And yes, Jesus does care about our current situation. He was not oblivious to people's suffering. Just read the accounts of his life. The number of times he intervened to help people in desperate need. To cure people of terminal illness to cure people of diseases, to raise from, to life those people who died. But his primary concern in coming was not to address the symptoms, but was to cure that underlying disease, that broken relationship with God. The problem the disciples had was that they couldn't see past the symptoms of the disease. They didn't see their need of a cure. You see, they thought they had the solution in their own hands. 
if they were sorry, they were pious, they prayed enough, God would hear them, sort out the Romans and give them back control of their nation. That's what God had done in the past and surely he would do it again. But Jesus knew that bargain always broke down and the Jews would go back to their old ways. Why? Well, addressing the symptoms never cures the underlying disease. As for giving back control, that was a key part of the problem. Jesus made it clear. In fact, God wants us to give him control. And this is what Jesus' death and resurrection are all about. Curing this underlying illness, restoring the relationship with God. How do you access this cure? Well, you come to him. You ask him to come into your life, to restore that broken relationship. And then you give him control of your life. That's why Jesus said, what good is it for someone to gain the whole world, yet forfeit their soul? You can have the perfect life. You can have everything you've always dreamed of. But if your relationship with God is broken, you're still terminally ill. Jesus asked the blind man, do you see anything? And I want to ask you the same question. Do you see anything in what Jesus said? Did any of it ring true to you? I hope you've learned something new. And perhaps something has piqued your interest. Maybe you came across something completely unexpected. Or maybe Jesus' warning about gaining the whole world and forfeiting your soul really challenged you. Or possibly this, this Jesus guy intrigues you and you want to know something more. Now, if that's you, I want to encourage you to do something about it. Like the blind man, Jesus is still in the business of helping people see clearly. So I'm going to suggest you do some homework. I'd like you to find somewhere quiet for 10 minutes in the next week and read the whole of the chapter 8 of Mark's account of Jesus' life. Just grab a Bible you've got at home and sit down and read it through. Now, I know some of you might not have a physical copy of the Bible. Just go to the App Store on your smartphone and download the YouVersion Bible app. Uh, that's got lots of versions of the Bible that you can choose from. Just pick one that you find appeals to you, that you like the way it's written. Um, or alternatively, why not go online and type in Mark 8 New Translation and again, you'll get a list of options for you to read. So once you've found somewhere quiet and uh, you've got the text in front of you, whether physical or electronic, before you start reading, I'd like you to pray. No fancy words, no long prayers. Just simply ask God to help you see. And when you've finished, 
want you to answer the same question Jesus asked the blind man. Do you see anything? <laughs>